and it's counting down three, two, one. Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba news. Obsessed episode 291 was recorded live July 21st, 2016. Welcome back to Scoob Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan where we are having some thunder and lightning. I love that summer storms. Joining me this week, we have Mac the Dive Mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? Doing very well. Glad to be here, sir. Excellent. And as I understand, you are continuing to take advantage of this fine weather and get in the water. I am endeavoring to uh, maximize my equipment utilization for summer activities dealing with water. I I like doing that math in your head when you buy something and the first time you use it, it's like Say it's a $200 item, it's like that, cost you $200 to use. Then every time you use it again past that time, you keep dividing it down. So your, your gear must be about $0.12 cents a use you're down to. It's funny you say that, but I am becoming in dire need of a new BC. Oh. Oh, my yeah, pockets you're... are ripping out. It's, it's like, <laughs> The funny thing is, I think you've probably bought two BCs since I bought my used one. <laughs> I don't know. I've only had... Because this is a Ranger, isn't the one you got now? No, nah, mine's, I think, a Sequest, but I, oh. I th- I've only had three BCs. My really? initial one was a horse collar. Oh, wow. Uh, the other one was, uh, I don't know what the hell it was. I have it downstairs still. Mm-hmm. This one, so that's only three BCs. Only three? Yep. Don't need no stinking BC. Come on. No, that, that's that's for the wimps. Or see, actually, I don't even know if I technically need a BC. I need probably more weights than than BC. No, if I were younger, I'd have me a tech backplate with a oh, good yes. wing on it, and uh, that's what I really want. I mean, of course, I like a rebreather. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I win the lottery. Yeah, there's still time. Win the lottery. Uh, before we get into the news, this may be a good opportunity to talk about a little bit of change we're doing. Uh, we're asking for our listener support, and we're doing that through a program called Patreon. By the time you hear this podcast, if you take a moment and go to our website, www.scubobsessed.com, and up on the top you'll see, uh, let me follow along, make sure I give you the exact link, but if you look at uh there's uh we got a menu at the top and one of them says sign up and if you mouse over sign up the fourth item down is donate and donate will take you to uh, a page that will explain what we're doing with the donations and lead you to our patreon page patreon is a service that many people use and it's a way of supporting the program and how it works is you donate to the podcast through patreon you it's a it's a monthly donation. You don't have to do it multiple months. You can do a 
a one-time fee if you'd like, but we'd love to have you continue to support us. Uh, anything from a dollar on up, you're free to donate. You can set maximum amounts to donate, uh, and we'll have a little bit more information. So we're just kicking it off. The site just went live this week. There'll be links on the website. We'll do some ads. We'll do some stuff on Facebook. But anything you can do to help, we need to do some upgrades with our hosting, and that's going to increase costs. And up to this point, we have pocketed the whole, uh, funded the whole show out of our pocket. So you look, and we are in episode 291, and we have not received any sponsor dollars or really any donations. We've had a few people buy us coffee and drinks when they go diving with us, but we have not had anybody directly support the program. So this is, to coin a phrase from Adam Curry, this is uh, value for value. If you're finding any value in listening to this, isn't it worth at least a dollar a month? And then we have some additional plans that go up from there. If you go to a $3 a month plan, you'll get private access to some advanced sneak peeks, and we call that the uh, dive Sherpa level. Uh, And then for about the price it costs you to get an air fill, uh, that would be $8 per month. And then we go on from that. We have a Nitrox level, a Trimix level. And then if you want to know how to sponsor the program, if you got an industry or a business that's in the scuba diving industry and you've wanted to know how to donate, Currently, this is going to be the only way we're going to accept donations at least or uh, sponsorship in at least a short term. Any sponsorship is up to our approval. It has to be uh, either within the dive industry or something that we believe divers would like, and those are a limited number of spots for that. So if you go over, check out Patreon. Any support would be greatly appreciated. Now, where do you find out one more time? I'm looking at the uh, scubaobsessedsite.com. Well, okay, so if you go to the Scuba Obsessed site and you go to the top menu there. That's when it says Scuba Diving, Gear, Resources, Travel, and Premium? No, it, if go up to the top. Scroll to the top. I read and you the should top. see a menu that says Shop, Events, Sign Up, Login, The Show. Yes, yep, I see that. Okay, go to Sign Up, mouse yes. over Sign Up, and then go to Donate. And right now it's a sad little donate page, but I'm going to be adding some graphics over the next few days to spiffy that up a little bit. And that will have a link to our Patreon page. Yep, I see it there. Okay. And then that will take you over to Patreon, and we will be adding a video to Patreon. The part I like is where donators may have options to take some of the stuff we find from the Ah, I, I didn't even think about that. Uh, yeah, if you if you go up to, uh, let's see, what did I do? I'd say the, uh, so yeah, let, maybe, maybe we'll spend a little bit more time with this. We haven't done this. You know, I, I think after 291 programs, it's it's about time. You know, we, we talked about the $3 dive Sherpa level. You get access to our Patreon-only stream, including announcements of guests prior to recording. The dive air level, which is $8, that gets you access to the Patreon stream an email containing show notes before the show records we actually do have these available and uh, what you'll do is we'll add you to a list that will get the advanced show notes and it'll either be posted on patreon or we'll have another way of getting them to you we have the dive nitrox level which is 18 dollars a month so what you'd pay for probably maybe a little bit more than one tank fill of nitrox uh, you'll get a shout out at the end of the show and then for $50, this is where you'll actually get something. And, and this is me. Maybe Mac will kick in some of his, but I, I know he's he, he might not be interested. We call that the tri-mix level for 
per month, and you will get something that I found in the river from Cooper River, and that will be while supplies last. And well, no, not, maybe not always a megalodon teeth. We got some other fossils, but that's from stuff we found in the Cooper River. Are you so, calling me an old fossil, by the way? I, I didn't necessarily say that. Okay. Uh, and then at the grubber level, which is for $75 a month, and, and this is probably where you get the real connection to the program because this is something that we scavenged from the bottom. We could actually see, and that will be something that either I found in the river or Mac found in the river. That could be a bottle. You know, and, and, and maybe for the first few, maybe the first couple, uh, we'll, we'll give them. I've got you know, maybe a milk. You know, I've, that's, that might be something that somebody would like. If you you collect bottles, well, we've been doing inkwells this week. Yeah, I've got an inkwell sitting up here too. Yeah, you, cool. So we'll we'll keep some stuff, and you can get it that way. And then at the and 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 the way all these work is, you get everything that the people above get. And then at the hundred dollar or more level, you are considered a co-executive producer. We'll list you as such. You'll be on the show notes as co-executive producer. And as an extra bonus, you can join the team during a pre-show recording. Uh, we'll have you on Skype. Uh, you can give us feedback, which would be what you'd exactly expect a executive producer to do. And we'll also create a one-of-the-kind art piece. And uh, this this may be good, it may be bad. We haven't done one before, but we'll put together something. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking maybe a shadow box with things we found in the river. Uh, maybe some painting on the back. I might even be able to corral my daughter. Uh, she's been doing this artwork, uh, you call it uh, alcohol painting. I don't know if you've ever seen that, Mac. Only when I drink. Yeah, okay. And then uh, the sponsorship level is the one beyond that. That's $300 per month. And to reach all the quality people who are engaged in this program, that is also a value. And what uh, beyond this, so what you're, what you're doing, what this money is going to is to help us maintain the program. If you don't donate, we're not going to shut you off. You're still going to be able to get to it. Uh, we, we may add some, but the first goal we have is we're hoping between all our uh, the people listening to the program, we can get to $300 per month. And what that would do is we would guarantee we'll do at least four episodes will be delivered every month. And we're pretty close to that now when you look over the course of when we started, which was in January of 2010. Till now, we are just like three point something. We're almost four. Um, but we and, could do things like improve the audio. Yep. We're going to yep. try video clips at least once a month. And we'd like to start at 9 o'clock, so when you want to tune in, we can be here. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll be doing some streaming. And had good bandwidth, yeah. so we don't have this issue with audio we sometimes do. Yeah, so so right now, just this week, I've I've got my webcam set up. I've got my lighting set up. And I'm going to be doing, I don't know if this episode, I will we'll release a video version of it. Uh, and you'll see why we have a face for radio. Uh, if we get to $600 per month, which would be our next milestone, we'll create at least one extra show or article each month. A pre-release will be made for our Patreon supporters. So you're going to be able to see it just a little bit before everybody else does. And we'll immortalize. So every time we hit one of these these uh, levels, anybody who's donated, no matter what the level, we're going to have a page on the website which gets you credit for being a supporter uh, when we hit the milestone. So $600 uh, supporters will be listed by name on the website. And then the next goal, which is 1000 
$20 a month. I don't know why I picked 1020 I thought it was a nice non-round number. And we will do at least four on-location productions each year of the show. Uh, some of them may be at a dive quarry. It may be at a dive shop, a trade show, a local watering hole. Um, and we'll also uh, we'll be expanding our video offerings. Uh, we'll be doing some informational videos. So it'll be a, another program that you'll help us support and fund uh, that add to our programming. So take a look. Uh, go over the Scoob Obsessed page. Uh, I don't know. I haven't tried. I'm going to see if I search on Patreon and if I type Scuba Obsessed, uh, I think that will also get you there. And Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. So once again, thank you for your support. If they take that link that's shown and put mm-hmm. that in, it comes up with what you, you were just talking about. All that information is right there so you can see it. And we'll add some stuff. And if you have any questions, drop us a line at the show at Scuba Obsessed. We're also on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Scuba Obsessed. And that is our pitch. We'll, we'll, we'll streamline this down. We'll probably also have a little pre recorded segment just to keep you in our mind that we could certainly use your support. Uh, we are a listener supported program, at least in, once we get people actually supporting (laughs) (laughs) and you're gonna love the t-shirts do we have t-shirts yet we'll we'll do some we'll have to do some t-shirts we'll add that to one of the levels maybe uh so let's jump right on into the news the first article we have up is uh enbridge and uh who enbridge is is they are a oil pipeline company and uh, they had a leak a little bit of oil leaked out of one of their pipes not too far from here uh, and uh, it, it made a little bit of a mess and, and reading through and I, I spent an hour this week kind of going through the documentations because if you are a scuba diver anywhere in the Midwest you probably got the uh, and you watched YouTube there's mm, excuse me, a while there where they were uh, bombarding you with how safe they were. And after I went through and looked through the documentation, they were far from being safe at all. So what happened is they had run tests in the pipeline. They determined that things probably weren't as good as they needed to be. And, you know, if you're Enbridge, just go and, and Google it. You'll be able to see where we've got uh, the information from. Uh, some of it is uh, government documents that have been submitted. And what happened is, uh, so uh, they released a little bit of oil. And when we say a little bit of oil, it was 843,000 gallons of heavy crude. And this happened in July 2010. So uh, Enbridge, they, they call it the Lakehead Network. is a web of 14 pipelines that extend 2,000 miles across seven states. Uh, they have one pipeline that goes across the Straits of Mackinac, which links uh, Lakes Huron to Michigan to northern Michigan. Um, so what happened is, from reading through these documents, they misinterpreted the data when the leak started, and they actually pumped more oil intentionally. They thought they were losing pressure or something, and so, of course, when you lose pressure, let's just push some more into it. So by the time they realized something was up, that was 843,000 gallons that had leaked. And the fine that they received, and they received fines multiple different ways, but 
They reached a $176 million settlement for the coastal inland oil spill. Uh, they've agreed to replace 300 miles of pipeline, pay $1 million for a separate 2010 spill in Romeoville, Illinois, and hire an independent auditor to make sure the company complies with the deal. The penalty is the largest ever assessed assessed for violations of the Federal Clean Water Act, except for those stemming from the Deepwater Horizon spill, which is the one that happened in the Gulf of Mexico. The company, based in Calgary, Alberta, has paid $1.2 billion for cleanup and environmental restoration, which was completed in 2014. It reached a deal for $75 million and bought 154 residences in the affected area. And I used to live on the Kalamazoo River. My house was on a bluff right over the river. And there are not a lot of houses along that river. So they they bought up a a good percentage. So it was in a tributary that fed into Kalamazoo, which then exits into Lake Michigan uh, near, well, uh, near Saugatuck, Michigan. I say near, I think it is Saugatuck, Michigan. And I'm looking at these pipelines, and some of these pipelines... uh, actually go through where we are now, Berrien County that crosses St. Joe River. So uh, one of the pipelines that crosses St. Joe River, I believe, also crosses Kalamazoo. So this could have easily have been in the St. Joe River here as well. The agreement was filed with the U.S. District Court of Michigan's Western District. After a 30-day public comment period, the judge will decide whether to accept it. The National Wildlife Federation has said it is woefully insufficient. The company reported $937 million in profit for the first quarter this year. The financial penalty and pledges to uh, basic inspections and maintenance could merely be considered a cost of doing business rather than a, to, a true deterrent to prevent negligent oil disasters. And that uh, is according to Colin O'Mara. I think they got off easy, honestly. Collectively, yes. I mean, it is a huge amount of dollars, but... Uh, you know, if this was a, a citizen, you, you're destroyed for a lot less. Oh, yeah. I mean, that would be like the average person paying a $5,000 fine. You know, it's it's really not that much money. And did it change any behavior? Uh, it's, you know, reading through the documentation, uh, it was not, the, not a pleasant experience. And we have a Turkish scuba diver sets a new Guinness World Record. Kem Karabey. Holder of the world record for the longest scuba dive set, a new mark recognized by the Guinness World Records by staying almost six days underwater. Met all his basic needs for food and water during that time undersea, even played football and chess. When he returned to the surface on July 20th, the anniversary of the 1983 Cyprus invasion, he looked tired but proud and delivered a speech expressing his gratitude for his audience. An official delegate from Turkish Cyprus attended the speech. The first Turkish athlete to set a record underwater, Karabay stayed, uh, started his record bid on July 14th in Cyprus and finished last night. And when they say last night, when was this? This was just under 21 hours ago. He set three records in 2009, 2011, and 2050. Last year, he set a personal record by staying underwater for 72 hours. Over three days, he tried to break the longest open saltwater scuba dive record held by Egypt's Wala Hafez, who spent over 51 hours underwater earlier in the year. In 2011, he had the longest scuba dive in a controlled environment where he stayed inside a pool, an instant pool, for 192 hours. 
I want to see prunes. I, 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 you know, they show these, these photos and, you know, he's got flags and buddies around him, which is kind of cool. But how about, you know, a little bit of scientific study? What does your body look like after that amount of time? You have to be prune on prune by that point. I'm trying to discover how you're going to have your bodily functions function in a dry suit. <laughs> I mean, the P valve is great, but. It's that S valve or S flap. Maybe he had a shorty. I'm always curious uh, how much of the body was actually immersed in water and for how long, because we've seen the pruning effect of water. Yeah. That's a freaking long time. Yeah. yeah you're, you're tempted to think I could do it, but no, I can't do that. Actually, I really don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> It'd have to be a fundraiser, but I think we could do the longest underwater podcast, maybe. Possibly. Possibly. I'm just, I'd like to know the details on the support crew, crew that he had. I mean, this this kind of effort takes a lot of support yeah, and a lot of financial. Well, we, we've seen the deep divers will have huge amounts of crews and huge amounts of tanks. But even on this, you got to figure, do they say how deep he was? No, it does not. That's they, why I'm curious. Yeah, because, well, so let's say it's it has to be some depth where you're really down. Now, some of the indoor ones have been remarkably shallow like just in the bottom of a small pool. Uh, and, and the shallower you are, the longer your, your air will last, less tanks. But uh, let, let's say they said it had to be deeper than 12 feet. How many 80s do you think that would be in an hour for somebody who's fit? Uh, maybe one, one and a half? Wow. Uh, there's a video. I went to a couple of different sites while you were talking. Mm-hmm. He's, I'm looking at, he's, he's got, a T-shirt on, a BC, and a regulator. I mean, he's not in a dry suit. Well, what is the water temperature over there in uh, Cyprus? Okay, this is an old one, though. This is the record oh. he made in 2012. Okay. Where he did 192 hours, 19 minutes. Well, still. seconds. And I'm looking at that in the pool. And it talked about the water oh. temperature was at a constant 35 degrees Celsius. So 35 would almost have to be body temperature. You would think so. So you wouldn't have any kind of hypothermia. Yeah, so that's so that's what they did, and, and that's the advantage of doing it in the pool. Wow. Yeah, but they, they usually your pool directors do not like a uh, baby Ruth incident in the pool. No. That, that is not treated really well, or your health department, <laughs> for that matter. But again, support, I don't care where he did it at, that's a lot of, Time and you have, effort. You have a lot of people. I would, I would say, you'd have to have fifteen, twenty people, if not more, to do that for that amount of time. Did he say if he's raising any money? I don't think they talked about it. No, they didn't. I didn't see any of that. Now the thing about this is what I would like to hear because Turkey had that supposed coup uh, go on during this time, didn't they? I'm sorry. Say again. The oh, tur- yes, yes, yes. They had the coup. So Last could you imagine being underwater and hearing that there's, uh, you know, like a potential military takeover of the government? Maybe you're in a safest spot. You know you're in trouble when the tanks stop coming down, though. Yeah. Now, I was looking for a more updated from a different version for this, and I cannot find it. Maybe we can find and do a follow-up that we have some more details on it. That would be, to me, interesting to find out. Certainly. You know, what he really did, how he did it, how kind of support he had. We have the next article, swarms of 3D printed sea slug bots may be coming to the ocean. 
The, an advancement in bio-inspired robots has been developed by, from a team of Case Western Reserve University in the U.S., which wants to take the qualities of a common sea slug and use it to create uh, something outer-worldly. While the mechanics of the robot have been built and assembled using 3D printed parts, much of the tiny robot's outer casing has been built using various parts from the slug, including a muscle from its mouth, which provides movement. Largely built from the body parts of an underwater creature, the team has hypothesized using its creation underwater, released in swarms, could be used in disaster situations like scaring off sea creatures in event of a major toxic spill. Are they really, does a sea slug really going to inspire fear in other creatures? I don't think so. I'm looking at the picture. Yeah, the it looks almost like a like a caltrop or a jack. You know, you're using the game of jacks with a little it silicone on like it. You got the little pointy parts out, and it looks like somebody's false teeth. Yeah, you you could you could say that. Um, it's been suggested that a similar swarm of robots could be dispatched following a plane crash, or allowing them to trawl the ocean floor, search for the black box recorder, much faster rate than current methods. Yeah, maybe. So, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm having a hard time following. I was hoping it was a little, little something more, but maybe. You're going to have to sell me on it. Show me show me what it's going to do. And we have underneath the ocean, they're believing there may be a bunch of hydrogen gas. Currently, hydrogen gas is, if, if you're going to buy hydrogen, it's usually stripped off some other form of processing such as uh uh, natural gas ref- refining, uh, but they're saying that there's some naturally occurring hydrogen underwater. The study, which is uh, brought by the Duke University Nicholas School of the Environment, claims to have found abundant source and serpen serpentinized rocks, serpentinized rocks, serpentinized rocks. I'm some of these words you just don't ever see before, so I'm not sure. Uh, named after a snakeskin-like surface formed when seawater is added to periodontites, a term for rocks from the Earth's mantle. This formation process also produces hydrogen gas molecules. Duke University researchers constructed a model that shows large quantities of hydrogen may be forming underneath the ocean floor at a magnitude higher than widely recognized, and these sources of free hydrogen may not be as rare as once thought. Further studies need to confirm the accuracy of the study model to determine what happens to the hydrogen gas which is produced in order to explore the possibilities of collecting it as a fuel source. These findings could also lead to additional discoveries about the origin and formation of life on Earth and the role hydrogen gas plays in supporting life in the environments on Earth without access to sunlight like the bottom of the ocean as well as other planets. Okay. Seems like you're still mining. You're going to have to go down there, get the rock, and then bring it up and do something with it. Would be good for maybe underwater mining industry? Not sure. In the future. Yeah. Because they talk about hydrogen in a rock, but you can get hydrogen by splitting water. Electrolysis type of process. And then here's one I didn't give you, Max. So what I'm going to do is I'll give you the link to it. Uh, if I can find Skype somewhere around here. So it's not going to be the Asian carp yet, huh? Did I... Mexico's mysterious sea bells? Yes. 
Maybe this one should have gone in the photos. But I was thinking it was a different type of rock. So you have this hydrogen gas, and then you have rocks that are growing, albeit slowly. Uh, so these are sea bells. Some people have described them as hell's bells, elephant feet, or shower heads. They range in a size from tiny to as big as a person. Underwater photographer Reno Sigorbani uh, took pictures from a cave in the Yucatan. Stalactites are created by mineral precipitation of the water dripping through the cave ceilings, but most are pointed. Some say unusual shape like these bells are created by wind blowing in the caves, but exactly why remains a mystery. So they're found in a deep sinkhole known as a cenote. And uh, so are they thinking that these didn't form so they formed when it was dry and they these caverns have since flooded they're like you said this is under the picture aspect without mm-hmm. seeing the pictures of the diver under these it makes no sense to you once you see the picture it's like now you know where it hell's bells elephant feet come from because any of those describe what you're looking at here oh yeah it's beautiful oh i'm sorry chat room Somebody in the chat room says they're not hearing anything. They should be. Uh, Honest. Yeah, really. Well, we've got a live feed going in there. Flyboy's still in there. St. Louis Sam. So I think that must be going. You may need to... Huh. You're putting a note to say, tell me if you can hear me? Yeah. The the crazy thing is I don't know what I can do to... Yeah. Yeah. And how long have they been lost? (laughs) Yeah. Ah, Sam says he has audio. Okay, so it's working well. So these these uh, Hell's Bells, I, they're beautiful. Yeah, I should have I should have put them in the the photo section, but uh, I just saw it kind of went with the rocks. So much prettier rock. And our friend the Asian carp is back in the news, and I use friends loosely. Now this is going to be a big problem sooner than later. I, I think I think working with it. I'm I'm puzzled why we have not seen more in the Great Lakes. They're starting to see DNA, but I'm not aware of anybody actually sighting a carp. It's going to be just like the uh, lionfish, one or two, and then bam. Yeah. Yeah, see, you might not see it in the Great Lakes. The Great Lake, the carp, because we don't see, because we've got other types of carp, and while they're in a lot of the rivers, you never see them in Lake Michigan. It must be just something with the with it that they don't really care for it but i think once they get start getting in the river system that they're going to go like crazy well like you said we're really talking two majors the silver and the big head carp Mm -hmm. those are the ones that really are going to threaten the great lakes so this article is talking about is that they're have hypothesized and done some initial tests where they're saying that uh injecting carbon dioxide into the water, the fish no likey. Uh, many f- fish species avoid treated water because the fish are naturally programmed with inversion to carbon dioxide, which generally indicates low oxygen in the water. Some species may not be as sensitive to changes, such as paddlefish, but carp, perch, catfish, and bigmouth buffalo all try to stay out of carbon dioxide-rich zones. Which this- you find in our lakes, where we've got a lot of that sediment and mm-hmm. weed and algae. Yeah. This is what you find in those areas. Well, because you've got you've got carbon dioxide dissolved in the water, and you have oxygen. 
So I think depending on how the species interprets it, because what th- th- it seems to be they're indicating here is that they don't like the excess CO2 because it might it probably means that there's not enough oxygen in the water for them. So they've, over time, have developed an advert, natural aversion to it to survive. So if this is the case, they're, they're talking about using CO2 as a tool to deter the movement of the big head and silver carp. They said the research is encouraging because the, there's a need for additional methods to prevent any entry of Asian carp into the Great Lakes. Currently, officials have a number of methods for preventing carp from coming into the largest freshwater system in the world. The most visible are these three electronic barriers, Chicago area waterway system. So far, these physical barriers have proven largely effective, but they're not foolproof. Asian carp can still slip by. Officials worry that if enough get through to start a breeding population, they can threaten the viability of recreational fishing in the region. Yeah, exactly. I'd be curious how you're going to diffuse a river, flowing river, with carbon dioxide to help minimize this. You know, the only thing I could think of is if you had a large water treatment plant, would it be possible to, because you're already putting water into the the river at some sort of constant rate, could you at that point inject CO2 into it? And then maybe have a way of delivering it across a, you know, a high method, you know, uh, you know disperse it, you know, like, like how you would an air wall, uh, do the same thing with just this highly carbon dioxide rich water. Aren't we trying to uh, reduce our CO2 footprint? Yeah, well, you're not making it. You're just going to take it from someplace else. <laughs> you're going to have to make it to put it somewhere else. Well, no, it's it's naturally occurring. You could scrub it from the air and put it down. But I understand what you're saying. Yes. It's going to be interesting to see what they do and when they finally realize we have them. Yeah, I have. Yeah, I, I hate to be a skeptic, but I just don't think there's going to be a whole lot that they can do. Well, how's this for a find? This would be something you'd like to come across. Student is reunited with a... 10,000-pound diamond ring, meaning 10,000 pounds, the the value in U.K. currency, not the weight. After a specialist underwater metal detectorist all the way from, uh, all the way to, what is that place? Majorca? Majorca? Yeah. I'm probably pronouncing it so wrong. So she lost, a British holiday maker lost her ring in the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, Katie Patterson was distraught when the 10,000-pound family heirloom slipped off her finger while she swam in five feet of water. The 23-year-old, Why would you wear it in the freaking water and go swimming? I don't know. 23-year-old university medical student made a desperate attempt to find this skinny platinum ring then passed down through three generations of her family, but to no avail. She returned home without it when her holiday came to an end and phoned some metal detecting companies. She put in contact with a retired diver, George Edmonds from uh, Weymouth, Dorset. Miss Patterson agreed to pay for Mr. Edmonds, 75, and his partner, Julia Steffens, to fly uh, there to look for the ring, and she even returned to the Spanish Isle herself to point out where she had lost it six days earlier. The pair met up to the seaside resort near Palma using a waterproof metal detector and snorkel. Mr. Edmonds found the ring buried in three inches under the sediment, 30 feet from the beach. He returned the item to Mr. Patterson, Miss Patterson, who was overjoyed when she saw it. He said, I've been under, 
uh, I'm a bit of a teaser, so I showed her some coins I had found. She looked a bit, little bit crestfallen. Then I said, I found a Mickey Mouse ring kids can buy at fun fairs and brought out her ring. The face was an absolute picture. There's a lot of crying and hugging. She was over the moon. <laughs> I could see that happening. We, we wouldn't do something like that. Uh, that last ring I found that was almost $10,000, the lady was a little happy. Yeah. The sentimental value far exceeded the monetary value because it was passed down to her from her grandmother. Miss Patterson, who lives, who is from Belfast, now lives in Newcastle under line staff where she is at Kyle University. Lost the ring in July 12th, four-day break into, I'm not even going there. <laughs> she was on the aisle for a friend's wedding. She returned to the UK on July 15th and contacted him, who had been on holiday at Cornwall at the time. And they go on, and they've got it's got a nice backstory. It's a good article. Oh yeah. Uh, she spent a thousand dollar on airfares and hotel accommodations for herself and George. The money came from savings from trips she received while working for two years as a part time waitress while at university. Mister Edmonds waived his normal fee fee for compassion as he and his partner effectively had a free holiday. Because that's one thing I was wondering. I was kind of betting that they were going to get to the end and we'd find out that she was some rich person, but it sounds like she's a hard worker and just really wanted the ring back. Yeah. Medical student, 23-year-old university medical student. Now it puts me on something. In the UK, how do they? How do you pay to go to medical school? Not a clue. Yeah. The reason I ask is because my daughter's that's where she has determined she wants to go to medical school. So After, after the first four years. Yeah, yeah, you, you have you got four years of school, then you got probably another five or so uh, for medical and all that stuff. I was going to say intern, but that's uh, residency is what you end up doing. I'm looking at the beach where she lost the ring. Mm-hmm. She's damn lucky. <laughs> is it just a very that somebody didn't come back with a metal detector like we have on Silver Beach uh-huh. and find it before? He had an opportunity to go there. But he found it pretty deep in the water, didn't he? Well, he said, what, 30 feet from shore? Yeah. Five foot? Uh, five foot. Uh, our, our not being a metal detectorist, is that normal to have somebody out at that depth looking for stuff? Oh, absolutely. I look that way. The key items when you're looking for good stuff is you walk out and you see where your hands are in the water. Then you go out to where, where can you Safely throw a frisbee or a football, which is normally your armpits, chest. Mm-hmm. Between those two areas is where the majority of rings and stuff are lost. Because your hands are in the water, you get pruny, yep. shrink, rings yeah. come. Yeah, you get a little cold and everything right. contracts. And The guys are out there throwing the ball and stuff, and they have to be deep enough to, you know, to play around, but they got to have it so they can do their arm swing. Mm-hmm. So when they throw that ball, that ring comes off their finger. Ah, and then in the shallows, you'll find the toe rings, ear rings, and the sweet spot is about a foot from the shoreline in Lake Michigan where you have a reverse current. Yes. And that's where I go first because it'll be in the beach, it'll come over, it'll slap under that little part of the sand in that first foot of water at the drop-off. So there's three areas that you would detect, and that's where the majority of items will be found. Scuba diver's camera washes up three years after she lost it and 600 miles away. 
and they're saying it still works. Must be a GoPro. <laughs> Adelaide Devonshire, 37, was diving off St. Abbs in Berwickshire, Scotland, when the clip holding her camera snapped. After a search on shore in July 2013, she gave up hope of ever seeing her Fuji camera in a waterproof case ever again. But she was astonished when she saw an online post last week by Lars Mossberg, 57, who had found a perch on a rock in the shore of a small Swedish island. The plastic housing was covered in scratches despite having traveled across the North Sea. The camera turned on first without even being charged. The father, too, Mr. Mossberg, tracked down Miss Devonshire by posting some of her photos of her father and her husband to a Lost at Sea Facebook group where they were seen by a friend. It took just five hours. This is amazing. Five hours to find Miss Devonshire after the pictures were recognized by a pal who had been on a dive when she lost it three years earlier. Mother of two Mrs. Devonshires, an ecologist from Manatree, Suffolk. It's mad, really. I'm still shocked. To think it had presumably been bobbing around the sea for all this time and still works is remarkable. Just goes to show the power of the Internet and the kindness of people. Management consultant Mr. Mossberg added, the more I think about it, the journey it's been on, the more exciting it is. It's really very, very good. Mrs. Devonshire only discovered she had lost the camera when she surfaced following a dive was gutted when she could not claim it back on her insurance. Mr. Mossberg lives in a fishing village called Galholm, which is on a 31-hectare island of the same name, home to just 90 people, no cars, just boats. He spotted the camera among seagrass and shells on the rock coast during his how is a morning stroll a couple of weeks ago. I don't know why I looked down, but I saw something orange. He said, I left it for a while when I took it home because I didn't believe it would work. After leaving it out to dry, he pried open the waterproof cover to find perfectly unharmed camera inside, which turned on without a problem. There were 400 to 500 photos, all from different places. I could see the last photos from July 2013, a diving trip, so it amazed me it reached me. After listening to the voice of the movies and the camera, he thought it must belong to a Briton, so he posted a few photos of Mrs. Devonshire's husband, Paul, and Father Roger to Lost at Sea. The photos posted 513, uh, not 5.30 on Friday, remarkably were spotted by Mrs. Devonshire's fan, friend about 10.30 that night. She only joined the 2,500-member 2, group that day. What are the freaking odds? <laughs> not very likely. She should wow. go out and buy a lottery ticket really yeah. quick. Look at this map. They show the difference because not being yeah. from that part of the world, that moved. It's almost like it went directly east, didn't it? But you what? don't really know. Yeah, it could have gone down, yeah. round. And... Yeah, it could have gone down and over and up. You know, it could have followed the coast. Uh, wow. Three so years. Three degrees of separation. How does that go? Yeah. Well, there was a study. I don't know. Have we covered it in the show? Where it was the they it was the seven degrees I think is what they called it and then somebody had done some analysis and they said that most likely it was more is more between four and five that within four or five you could be introduced to just about anybody. Okay, I just looked it up. It's uh, six degrees of separation. So six degrees because it was yep, a seven fair. degrees of Kevin Bacon I think was the game. <laughs> yeah, I think I have seen that one. Yeah. Are we really all connected by just six degrees of separation? Yeah, and and I and I've heard it's a lot less, and then depending on who it is and, and your your uh, influences, there's certain. There, I bet you there are some people who it's uh, quite a bit shorter. Well, here there's one that says seven, and another one is three and a half degrees. Yeah. Basically, it don't take much, does it? 
especially with the internet. No, I, and I can, for a lot of times it's two or three, just about anybody. Cause especially if you've, I think as you get older, that gets smaller too. And maybe when you're younger, it doesn't, it's not really that much more. You just wouldn't know how to navigate that or, or do it, you know, the references. But through a lifetime of interacting with people and projects, you know, because you, you do business with certain companies, certain large companies. Yeah. And you can get to celebrities and other things that way through these relationships. So, well, very cool. Glad you got our camera back. And it's it's amazing. Especially, we've heard a lot where the camera itself is dead. It's the memory card that survives. Yeah. But in this particular case, it is the, the actually the whole camera. A testament to the housing, really. Well, remember the one we found for Kevin? He'd lost it a year before. Mm-hmm. We found it a year later. Case looked like hell. Camera worked fine. Yeah. After he charged the battery. But he had to charge it, so. And then they said, Lady Luck will be a scuba diving attraction. The Lady Luck artificial reef sunk off Pompano Beach on Saturday, and this is uh, July 21st. As well. Oh, so that's coming up. Will not only provide habitat for a variety of marine life, but also a highly anticipated destination for South Florida scuba divers. The 324-foot tanker is slated to be in the bottom at 115 to 120 feet, according to Jeff Torod. Torod? T-O-R-O-D-E. He's on the board of the Pompano. Let's see here. Some of these are annoying little videos. Uh, he said when Lady Luck is on the bottom, his deck should be 90 to 100 feet below the surface. The highest point, only 50 feet below the surface, making it easy accessible to all divers and of all abilities. Right, and that's a Pompano Shipwreck Park. I, I like that. I mean, where they're, they're sinking it and the size, that's just perfect. It's kind of like a wall dive. If you're not qualified to dive to 120 feet, there's plenty of stuff to see up there. Lady Luck will have so many dive boats that anglers will have all the other local wrecks to themselves. <laughs> I guess that's one way of selling it because I'm sure the uh, the fishermen are a little put off because it's hard to get close enough to the wrecks to take advantage of them. I expect some Christmas cards from fishermen. <laughs> not likely. Uh, the appeal of Lady Luck's accessibility is a 324-foot length, which is exceptionally big for a wreck that Shallow in the shipwreck park. It should be impressive underneath the water, so that's a big attraction. Uh, this is according to Jim uh, Matthew of Deerfield Beach, who dives in local waters several days a week. He had that 130, 130 feet is the maximum depth for recreational scuba divers, so he and his crew on boat chiefly will have plenty to see. For us, that will work out fine. There's plenty of wrecks to look at. Nice thing about the wreck that size, you can spend a whole dive on it. Lots of wrecks after one pass around, you're pretty much done. And then the article goes on. Another good article. I like this one. Did you see that that they've got, uh, is that going on the wreck, the crap stable with the octopus? It said so. Yeah, it says the octopus oversees the crap stable aboard a Lady Luck, a 320-foot-foot tanker. That'll be sunk. So they must have, there must be some place where you can find it in the wreck. I was so looking they, at the background, and the background has trees in it. So I don't know what they did, but, you know, with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm well, I, I'm, I I agree. I think what this is, oh, I see. If you look to the right of the table, can you see the steel ladder? Yeah, but look to the left of the octopus, and I see outdoor trees. Yeah, but I think it's where they were docked. Oh, uh, okay. So I think what they were doing is they were just took the photo, 
Uh, and it was because you were trying to get the octopus in. I think most photographers would have taken it the other way. But then you saw the backside of the octopus. So they probably wanted the front. All I know is if you put that boat near us. Oh, man. The harbor would be a mecca of divers. And they'd be making buku bucks up here. Oh, certainly. There, there would be tons, tons and tons. The closest we have is a Cedarville, about the same aspects. And we dive that whenever we can. It's a, a great wreck. Yeah. And like you said, you're not going to do it in one dive. No. No, you're going to have a, it's going to have a few dives. Uh, it's a nice, large wreck. Uh, it's one you can come back to several times. And if you can do penetrations on it, and if they've made it so it's semi-safe, because there is no such thing as safe on penetration dives. No. You're gonna, it's a training avenue, a, a great yes. training place, especially for rebreathers. Yeah. I wish they'd wow. put one here. Yeah. Well, how about this next one? This one would look good underwater, but they happen to bring it out. The Mary Rose warship. The Henry VIII's flagship has undergone 34 years of conservation, such as was raised from the Solient in 1982. Small viewing panels have been replaced with floor-to-ceiling windows and a balcony entering through an airlock at the Purpose-Built Museum in Portsmouth. Conservation manager Dr. Elnor Schofield said it was an emotional moment. You think about all the people involved in the project, commitment, and preservation. It's fabulous to see a ship like this. feels like you can reach out and touch it, get the sense of the compartments, and relate to the artifacts and the people on board. The warship which sank in 1545 while leading an attack on French invasion fleet was discovered in 1971. It was taken to the atmospherically controlled dry dock where it was sprayed with a mist of cold water while soluble wax before air drying process began. The latest development which saw the ship closed to public view in November cost about $5.4 million to complete. The $39 million, and I say $5.4 million, it's pounds, $39 million pound museum first opened its doors to visitors in May 2013. The ship goes back on public view on Wednesday. Dr. Alex Hildred, head of the research and curator of the ordinance, was among those who dived the wreck in the 70s and 80s, said when we excavated Mary Rose, we want people to see every little we want to see even a little of what we saw as archaeologists saw an experience underwater. The fact you can see it from three different angles that you've never been able to see before except when she first came up is brilliant. Look at those photos. I like that they've got it labeled. Uh, I'd like to actually like to see more labels, and maybe there are, depending on where you are in the wreck. I'd like to see something, and it, it could even be a model. It wouldn't actually have to be the same wreck for some of the shipwrecks that we've got out here. Because you see them all splayed out, and sometimes it's hard to visualize uh, the construction of that vessel and all the different pieces. All it takes is money. Yeah. Now, this one, I wonder how many years it will take them to recoup that $40 million. A lot. It's a lot of tours. And they have a nice timeline of saying when everything happened on it. And then we got a couple photos of the week. Leonardo da Vinci's scuba diving suit. Call it scuba suit. Well, it's a dry suit. Yeah, you ain't going to put anybody in some old nasty wetsuit. You're going to put them in a dry suit. So what has happened is, do they say what this is? 
because he never made the suit. It was uh, this suit was created from sketches. Leonardo da Vinci in the 16th century <clears throat> uh, designed the suit. There's a couple ideas of what he was when he did it exactly and what the purpose was, but the intent was to be able to have somebody underwater, and it was either to defend an attack or to actually launch an attack underwater. Most complete plans show the leather suit and face mask with goggles and an inflatable wineskin to enable sinking and floating two hollow breathing tubes made of cane and reinforced steel rings led from the diver's mouth up to the surface water. Some incarnations show that attached to a floating disc, while others have it leading to a pocket of air trapped by a diving bell. There's even special pee pouch for the diver, ensuring he'd stay down there regardless of whether nature calls. Some historians think the suit was part of an elaborate plan to attack the Ottoman ships from below in order to sink them and re- release prisoners. Others, including McCurdy, say it's more likely dates back further to when da Vinci's time in Milan, in which case he had intended to attack Venice itself. It was a time of tumultuous alliances. Well, the only way that really would have worked, looking at it from today's perspective, is leading to a pocket of air trapped by a diving bell. Yeah. That would work because that would be under pressure. Well, and the, the thing is what he would have – it would be interesting to see did anybody ever try to create this and did they do any testing? Because as we know, uh, if you did it with it going to the surface, what was it, by six feet, seven feet, you wouldn't be able to breathe off it? How about about a foot? About a foot. So really shallow, it's not going to work because your lungs are – you've got the pressure of the water on you. You're just – you're not going to be able to draw any air down. So you'd have to have a pocket of air that you get in the surface and then you sink that pocket down with you. And then it would act kind of like a, a rebreather in a way in that you're just diluting your exhaled air in with what's already in that container. And now that you said that, if you did that chamber down, which is basically a scuba tank – Right. And then put activated charcoal and a few other chemicals in there you could actually take, you know, as a scrubber system. Yeah. So it does sound feasible. It is. Maybe that's something we'll have to create. (laughs) Donate to our Patreon account and maybe that'll be something we'll try. (laughs) And then how's this? I I know how much you love these uh, underwater critter pictures. Oh, absolutely. And this one wasn't exactly underwater. Well, at least I don't think it was. I'm pasting it in the chat room. Well, I'm uh, bad stargazer. At doing so, Stargazer, a predatory fish, comes packed with an arsenal of deadly weapons, matching its charming good looks. Traditionally found in deep waters, the specimen featured in a recent Facebook post by East Coast Surfing Championships was discovered lurking in the sand by somebody walking along the beach. Stargazer is a family fish comprised of 51 species worldwide, and they all have eyes on the top of their heads uniquely evolutionary advantage to bury themselves in the sand and ambush prey unlikely enough to swim overhead. Oddly enough, it's actually the least interesting thing about them. Not only are they equipped with large venomous spines near their gills and above their pectoral fins, but they also generate a painful 50,000-volt equivalent electric shock. Two lower prey stargavers discharge seawater through their gills, causing the sand to dance like there's a meal hiding beneath it. Some stargazers have a worm-shaped lure that glows out of the bottom of their mouth. Other fish and crab get close. Stargazers leap out of the sand, suck in its meal, further adds to a legend of horror at sea. Though the meanest things in creation, fish scientist William Leo Smith, who owns a stargazer, told the New York Times, I was so excited to get it. It's the worst pet on the earth. <laughs> Look at the video. 
I I haven't. So here I'm going to go. Uh, let me mute this so you don't everybody doesn't get tortured with it. So, oh yeah, I did see the video. Uh, and when we say video, it's more of a slideshow, a collection of photos where they're somebody looks like they they zipped them off, but not. That's a pretty good sized fish he's swallowing. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. They got a photo. The thing is, they say he's normally deeper, but these things are at all different levels. Yeah. Because that that photo that that image you're showing of the stargazer bearing in the bottom. Yeah. The, the ambient light there that is not that deep. Oh no, sure it does have a lot of teeth too. Oh yeah. Ugly looking little sucker. Yeah. I'm just, they said he had venomous spines and he was on the beach, so it must have been. Low water, low tide. Did you see the way he was pulsating to move the material to fall in the hole and then the stuff fell over him? Yeah. That is interesting. Yeah. What oh, nature wow. has figured out how to do. Oh, yeah. I just looked at that whole thing. That's pretty cool. All sorts of stuff. See, that's why you got to scuba dive. Somebody had to catch that photo. That could have been you. That's why I like a river stick. <laughs> Bite on that, fella. <laughs> yeah. Don't feed the fish. Well, that does it for Scuba the News. Thank everybody who's in the chat room. We'll get better at that. Or those who join the Patreon account will be able to get the show notes in advance and not wait for me to post them in the chat room. So I'm, 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 I think I'm going to bring that up. You know, get that that. Well, we need to come up with like a little theme song to remind people. Have a jingle and everything. Yeah, we could do a jingle. Do something like that. We'll we'll come, we'll come up with something. But again, thank you. I'd also like to thank WRVO Radio for putting us on the air. If you like hunting, fishing, or the great outdoors, WRVO Radio, you can go to the RenoViolaOutdoors.com website and uh, get the links there. So thank you. Or you can go to ScoobObsessed.com and look at the footer, uh, and you can see a link that will take you right there to WRVO, and you can find the schedule where they broadcast us and other excellent outdoor programming. And I think we're to that time of the show where we talk about actual diving. So I understand you got in the water. A couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we went scanning on uh, Friday, but we went, uh, the big lake was too rough. So we went to Pawpaw and tried out the fish. And uh, we found one boat, one car, a uh, boat looks to be about 30 feet long. We got to check that one out in a unknown object that we definitely have to go dive and see what the heck it is. And then I saw that uh, in response to that, uh, that clean our riverbanks, I'm trying to remember what that acronym is. I want to say chubby, but I don't think, I don't think that's the acronym, but that, uh, that clean, the clean the riverbanks group was right. saying that they wanted all tires out of the water, no matter what they were attached to. I wrote back and said, uh, we can bring anything up you want, but we need a dumpster because I'm not taking it home. Yeah. What I think they need to do is I'd be willing to a few times a year go to river cleanups that they're doing and be the underwater support. You know, we could pull stuff up. If they had people on the shore to take what we've got, we could move a heck of a lot. Oh, yeah. Because really what it comes – or and even a boat. You get a nice boat that you could have overhead – Maybe two or three divers doing the bottom, and we could we could just about sink the boat with trash. That's yeah, called an ecology dive. Yeah, yeah, but they've got to do it. I mean, up to now, these ecology dives have been us doing it, and there's been limited shore support. Yeah, 
uh, we, we need the, their goal of the, of the group is to take care of all the trash and recycle it for everything that comes up. And they're doing something with tires. I don't know if you've seen where they, they're turning yes. them into planters, yep. plan, uh, painting them up. And that's good. I'm, not really my style of what I want around in my yard. But uh, if they've got a use for them, we'll bring them up. I, I think they're going to be a little bit surprised because the, the tires that we bring up may not be the tires that they're expecting. I think they're seeing a little bit fresher trash when they're doing the riverbanks. Yeah. And we've got tires underwater that have been there for 50-plus years. Well, you saw the addition later. They were talking about we find so many bottles, and yes. a, a large number we do not keep, and I put mine in the trash when I get there. Yeah. And they want those. I mean, just because we don't like them, other people do. Well, and, and, and yeah, I have more power to you, but I'll bring them up. And they're going in the trash, or if you have a receptacle, I'll put them in there for you. Yes. Uh, the one thing I did uh, notice on when I asked them, well, what kind would you like? Of course they wanted the ones that we would probably be keeping. <laughs> yeah, because they were saying anything interesting, a glass of color embossed, which yeah. which sounds like what we like to keep. But there would be some we'd be willing to part with, uh, things that don't mean so much. I mean, there's only so many medicine bottles you can have, especially if you've already gotten that particular pharmacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, we do throw it away. Yeah, but, but we're going to save some of those now for our yeah. our guest, our uh our sponsors, yeah, because so, we do have some very really nice bottles, yeah, and that are unique. Yeah, yeah, I'm 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 holding up. I don't know if anybody will ever actually see this webcam, but you know, I'm, I'm holding up a bottle now, which is broken. I don't know if anybody'd want it. Uh, this is one I I've actually I think saved to use in an art piece, and it's a it's a milk one quart. It says Berrien County Milk Producers, embossed, but it's just a piece of glass. And so I thought this would be a nice one for some sort of, uh, you know, gosh, I'm, I'm being confused by my own web camera, uh, some sort of diorama or, or something, you know, some art piece that would be, I think that'd be interesting because it does have the emboss, but we've, we've got all sorts of things that we, we find underwater. Yeah, I've got bolts. Wow. And some of the stuff I can tell I've not done any conservation on it because they're they're disintegrating after being out for years and years. Yeah. So I love the cleanup that they're that they're talking about. It's good. I'd, I'd love to see some coordination. They're very much east side of the state. Seems to be where most of their people are at now. But if they could get those interested in our side of the state, uh, we'd love. Could you imagine doing the Thirsty Thursday dive and then having six people on shore support who don't dive to help you out with the trash? They'd have a lot of trash. Yeah, because you could. Because, you know, I bring up, every time I go grubbing, I bring up trash that's just intentionally down there. But I don't bring up all of it because I have to get to dive in. I mean, you could you could easily spend, you could fill your bag up in two minutes and, yes. and not get out of the water. Nobody I mean, does that anymore because you're looking for the quality items now. Yeah. Not the common items like beer bottles, mm-hmm. Pepsi bottles, Coke bottles. A lot of still- 30 and 40 years old, but not what we want. Yeah. And a lot of the stuff that I'm bringing up now is, uh, other than the bottles I want to collect, will be things that are just driving me nuts, like a stereo or a TV or, you know, a cell phone. You know, the electronics. I hate seeing electronics in the water. Or the batteries and mufflers oh, and shock yes. absorbers and steering wheel, hubcaps, tire rims. You name oh, yeah. it. Yes. 
Oh, they're they're Niles. What I would like to do would be to have would be to have us drop a line in the river and do it like twenty feet apart across the whole river and spend a day, start at eight in the morning and go to six at night and see in that twenty foot stretch how much how many items we could bring out. And maybe that would be something like an awareness piece. And then you could lay out all the pieces kind of relative to where they were in the water. So people get an idea how much garbage is down there. Because I think they'd be astonished at how much it is. Because when it goes in there, it doesn't go anywhere. If somebody like us doesn't take it out, it just sits there. And depending on the bottom, it just sits on top of the bottom. If you've got a gravel bottom and the current doesn't come and wash it to another place where it collects. And we're not even talking about the collection points. Those collection points. How much, underneath a uh, a tree root on the outside of a bank, how much stuff can you find? Quite a bit. I'm sorry. We, we, we got sidetracked on your uh, river diving. <laughs> so you... you uh, we, got, we got Papa done on uh, Friday. Uh, went out with Ken. He got a new scanner. He got a Garmin. So we went out on Monday for that and reconfirmed a couple of numbers and practiced on that. After we did that aspect, we went out and continued to look for that bomber I've been looking for for two years. Mm-hmm. And uh, the down sonar was working fine, and then the side scan decided to not play nice. So we came on back in from that one. And let's see. Then we went back out again. God, I can't even remember the dates. I got another river dive in, and I went out this morning, but that was a paid dive because I was recovering a motor. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you got out of the boat there in the middle of the river, you went like a flag in a stiff wind. If you weren't holding on to the anchor line, you were gone. Yeah. So it was for a minute, it's like, I think this is going to be a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> got to the bottom, and it was manageable with a, you know, with a... Did they know exactly the where the motor was? Oh, hell no. <laughs> well, at least he threw a buoy out. He had a he had a good estimation, and I said, "Are you positive it's not in front of the buoy?" Because I wasn't, you know, can't guarantee it. Because I said, if it's behind it and it's within a hundred feet of where you said, I'll find it. Well, he was off by a factor of two, but I did find it. When you say a factor two, how far away from it were you? Well, when I when I put up the lift buoy, he I wasn't there on the boat, but uh, Ken was, and he says. I didn't think he could go that far downstream. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <clears throat> well, what he forgot is whenever he got it knocked off, he was it was under propulsion. The motor was still turning. Oh. So it went into the water until it ran out of gas and carburation. It was traveling. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, and the first tree I hit, I swear to God, it, it was big as a redwood. Really? He always, I could not put my arms around it. And visibility wasn't bad at about two feet. And then I'm tracking down because I figured maybe it got jammed under the tree. And then as a big hole started appearing, it's like, do I really want to go into the hole where the fast current is pushing my body? Ah, uh, strainer. Uh, yeah. I said, I don't think so. So I sort of skirted that area, used a long stick to poke in there to find out is there any metallic objects and made my way around. But it was, it was a... Sort of a fun dive, but uh, I was glad to get the hell out. I was tired after I finished that dive. But uh, she actually posted a picture. I didn't even know she was taking a picture of us getting it into the boat. It's actually on the club uh, Facebook part, I believe. I, I saw that. And did they make a, like a little animated GIF or something? She must have, because uh, 
Ken and I were getting the motor in, and uh, her husband, where he, he was in his boat, so we put the boats together, grabbed the lift bags, and brought it up. So I didn't realize what she was doing until I saw the video. Well, excellent. And then, of course, we had the dive tonight. And we are going to definitely change a few items when we dive, though, out there. Uh-huh. We're going to start on a certain time, and we're going to say at 8 o'clock, the dive is over. Get your butt back in because it's starting to get dark again. Right. And if you're not going to stay within 100 feet of the flag or the boat flag, then take one with you. Yes. Uh, we can't have any more people not doing that. And we did have some boaters come over to see what the hell we were doing. Not a good thing to do. And that included kayakers. Now, do you do, do paddled crafts bother you when you're diving if they come over? Only if I don't know they're there and they ram me in the head when I come up. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Yeah, that not, would. It's not good. No. no. That that would drive me a little bit uh, batty myself. I would not be happy with that. Yeah, I'll post some pictures on that a little later, probably tomorrow, not tonight, of some of the items we found. Uh, some of the bottles were pretty nice again. I mean, you got some nice in, embossed medicines, uh, nice stoneware, not even chipped. Jim got a couple of those. Found a pistol. Uh, all in all, everybody had a good time. And then, of course, we went over to uh, the Nugget. But the big thing I took some pictures of, Niles had a Pokemon day or something. Oh, Pokemon Go? Tonight. There were hundreds, and I, I'm not joking, <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of people walking through Riverview Park. I could have walked naked through those, and people would not have noticed. <laughs> We've got guys wearing tanks, and it's like they're oblivious. I could be stabbing people. I could whatever. You know, and you're they lucky they didn't think that you were a Pokemon. Oh, let me tell you. And then it, you hear it had been uh, Koopa Scuba or something, and they would have, you know, they'd have been throwing balls at you trying to catch you. It, but but it's just like they say. They got their nose in that little screen, and they're walking into freaking trees. It's crazy. It was awesome to watch <laughs> mass humanity. I it, mean, some people had backpacks that looked like Pokemons climbing on their body. Oh, really? And these are not kids. These no. are older people. Not yeah. as old as us, maybe, but yeah. pretty close. Well, I, I was, I'm a little too old for when Pokemon was popular. But I know of full-grown professional people who are excited about Pokemon. There was something about it. To me, I was just never into that cutesy stuff, even I think if it had been popular when I was that age. Uh, but it's it's taken off. And I've loaded the game and played it. My, my kids are playing it. Uh, and uh, Nintendo and uh, the company who developed it, which is a spinoff of Google, I think they've, they're, they've got a way they're going to make some money. Uh, so I need to do something similar like that for scuba diving. Uh, we just need underwater housing that works. And, yeah, like that one of those underwater computers that they keep saying that would be interesting that nobody ever wants to send us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was really, I just could not believe the, the number of people that were out there today and oblivious to the world except what they were doing. Uh, it was it's just freaking amazing. But then again, we were out in the river and had a good time. Yeah, and the right. water was hot. People were diving in swim trunks, T-shirts. Wow. Uh-huh. It's I know that, that freaking warm. And I know that people were trying to get out on the uh, big lake on the weekend, but I think Kevin got out Saturday, didn't he? 
Uh, Kevin's getting out all the freaking time. <laughs> I use that word a lot, don't I? I mean, he's been on the barge, I think, four or five times. Yes. And that's 125 feet, and he's doing solos. Yes. I, on the Ann Arbor 5, that's 165 feet. He's on the Ironsides. 60-foot visibility is doing some great video work. Yes. Not, not even to count the ones up in South Haven and then to the rivers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've dove a couple with them, and, again, we're doing a lot of scanning. So, yeah, he's, he is into this big time, and he does it the right way. He started off a little bit, got more training, a little bit, got more training. You know what I mean? He just didn't jump into it. Right. And he's up to over 300 dives now. Excellent. Yeah, he's 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 getting up there. Yep. Because uh, I, I remember when he was just uh, less than 10 dives. Yep. So so excellent. Good, good job, Kevin, getting in the water. Uh, I know there's a plan of going out Saturday, but that, uh, not Saturday, Sunday. Well, actually, some people are talking about Saturday. Or oh, this coming Saturday. And, or the Havana or both. Yeah. yeah I, I can't do Saturday because my son... His uh, last driver's ed drive is there, and I, they, they want me to go with them. Must be so I can experience a terror. Uh, that we all share. <laughs> he, he'll, he'll be good. He, he was listening to him talk as he's gone through the driver's ed. Uh, and he, and he's, he's somebody who's run tractors, lawnmowers, and equipment. And, you know, so he, he feels pretty confident about it. But today was humbling. I guess they did parallel parking in downtown St. Joe and uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah the a little bit of summertime with a bunch of crazy people and not a lot of parking spots and and you'll learn that uh, there's a little technique to that it just doesn't come naturally yeah but Uh, the only thing they're really missing is doing this with a three-speed column shift oh (laughs) biggest freaking hill in the state that's got a stoplight at the top and you've got to be able to stop there and not roll backwards when it turns green. Oh, I oh, learned how to drive a stick shift in a 10-ton rack truck in Chicago on the Eisenhower going uh, uh, the Harlem ramp. So if you're in Chicago, you know where that is. And that's a pretty steep incline. And I was scared to death I was going to roll over a convertible behind me. Uh, but, yeah, that's, uh, he's, uh, he's, he's learning. So that's going to be Saturday, so I won't be able to make the dive. Uh, this last Sunday they were supposed to get out, and I understand they would they dive the pier area. Yeah, they went out and got blown out, so they hit the pier, and then those dogs came back inland and went to the river, and I didn't know it. <laughs> and uh, they dove that for a while, and then John uh, did safety boat, and um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Schultz went ahead and did uh, a drift dive under the railroad bridge, mm-hmm. and he was amazed because he'd not been there, saying, "Oh, there's lanterns and tools," and it's like, yeah. Because he'd never been there before. Who was that, John? No, uh, Jim. Schultz? Yeah, he, he did the surface, you know. The, oh, he did uh, shore support. He never done the dive under there. Oh. And that's a freaking, if you've not been there, it's really neat. Because the right side, you got a, a huge ditch and cavern. And if you went through the opposite side of the bridges, you've got those uh, clay banks and tunnels. You know, I don't know if I've been, actually, I've been through there either. I don't think you have. No, I've done the drift dive from north all the way down to the park. And I've gone pretty far down where I've had to swim back up. I've been almost to the bridge going down, but I uh, had to swim back up. Yeah, I, I, and I've gone from uh, Merrimont up almost to the bridge, but there's probably a good 50 to 100 yards of river bottom I haven't traversed. 
Wow. So they they did they didn't do too bad for a Sunday either. Oh no, they had a good time. Excellent. Good and then uh, so this Saturday, which I I won't be able to do. Uh, God, I'm, it's it's a full week though. I got activities tomorrow. So Saturday is uh, a turban boogie up in Allegan. Mm-hmm. Sunday's a birthday party for a nephew. Uh, say Monday is Oshkosh. That's because Oshkosh is coming up this week. Oh, that's this week already. Yeah, yep. Yeah, gonna fly up there. Uh, I'm not gonna camp there like I did last year. And then, uh, God, what next weekend is uh, Chicago? They've got a Rook Fest. That's for jumping. That's another ten days. Mm-hmm. So, hey, this is the time to start doing something. Summer, end of the summer, actually. July yeah. is going away real quick. Yeah. And there's tall ships in the Great Lakes this year, isn't there? Yeah, uh, I'm not sure where the Viking ship. I think it's a Viking ship. Uh, is that remember they need four hundred thousand dollars? Yes. To pay some kind of fine so it can go through because they consider it commercial craft. Yeah, that was pilots. They had to pay for a pilot. Four hundred dollars an hour. I want that job. Well, the pilots. You you if you you've watched that uh, that uh, show uh, where they dredge for gold. Yeah. Uh, that one of the guys on that show is a pilot. And when we say pilot, I'm not talking plane pilots. We're talking boat pilots. He makes a couple hundred grand a year as a boat pilot. Yeah. And I'm not saying that there's not skill or things involved because you're basically taking the vessel over from a captain and taking the responsibility of it to move it around. Yeah, million dollars worth, millions yeah. of dollars worth. Right. But once you get it down, you are making some money. I, I, I'm not really sure what the career path is to get that, but there's uh, there's some funds being ex- exchanged or earned there. And I, I, I see that on a day when it's really nice in the summer, but come January in a blizzard, eh, he's making yeah. his money back. Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure I'm there's time. Well, there's probably vessels that I wonder if you can refuse. <laughs> we should have a pilot on, uh, have him tell us what he does because I bet you there are times where you're saying I. That's not a vessel I want to even get on the the boat. That's true. It'd be interesting to know that. Yeah, you, so you know, like, anybody out there knows that. Let mm-hmm. us know. Yeah, drop a line. The show at scoobobsessed dot com. Yeah, inquiring minds want to know. And if you drop a line there and you don't hear back from me, uh, you know, there, there's well, other ways you can do Facebook. But I think I'm responding to everybody. But if if you don't hear back when you do that, that may not even get it. I some of the talk today was. Some people are going down to Dale Hollow. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, 30 years ago, it was really great. That's where they submerged the city. Well, all the houses have collapsed now, so that's not yeah. much fun anymore. Uh, but some people are thinking about going to Charleston and playing with the shark teeth. Oh, when they talk about doing that? Well, I, so, well, they're going to go, uh, what is it, October? Oh, that's when to go. Yeah. And uh, I, I'd like to go down there and maybe get up with Richard and get his boat and we go out to that part where the barges were. Oh, yeah. I enjoyed that section. That that was the first spot we went in was one of my favorites. Yes, and the middle one was not. I spent that whole freaking hour being drug on the bottom. I did <laughs> that not was, like that. Yeah. It, it, you'll have to listen. If, if people want to hear, look up uh, our episodes where we talk about Cooper River diving. Uh, and we got drug down. <laughs> and it, it's the first time. I think that was the one and you went down. That was... That was that. That's kind of like falling off a cliff and then grabbing the branches on the way down. That's what that felt like. 
I hit my river stick, and all I did for the whole freaking hour was hold on to that, being drugged backwards, hoping I didn't get drugged into those electric power cables that had fallen into the river. Yeah, they had high-tension power cables went across the river, and they fell in. And and they did the same thing that the cables, your smaller cables at home do. When they're on tension, they probably looked pretty straight, or they kind of hung in a nice gradual loop. But when they got untensioned, they just coiled right up. So there's this big coil of cables, you know, big cable. And that was the same part where he said when when you come up and you go to the side to wait for the boat pickup, take your fins off to beat across the, you know, the, yeah. beat the snouts of the alligators away. And it's like, <laughs> like hell you say. <laughs> I'm going to stay out deeper water because if I'm going to be in the muck up to my knees, I can't move. Yeah. The alligator's going to just chew me up. Mm. So no, we all did. We stayed out of the muck. And kept the fins on, looking for the gators. That was a fun time, wasn't it? It was. I, I certainly want to do that again. And that's again Patreon. Donate to the Patreon. That's some of the stuff that we'll be able to do. And maybe we'll we could do uh, something to where you could join us on one of these trips. When I say you, a listener, maybe you could (laughs) meet us down there. Yeah. Can you imagine going on a trip with us? (laughs) Yeah. I'm I'm up for that, but that's some of the things that we're we'll eventually get to. All right, yeah. If we went to Sheboygan, it did have fun. Oh yeah, because you got Duncan Bay, you can kayak that. The visibility is so good, you can look at the two wrecks. Mm-hmm. Actually, take pictures from your kayak and of the divers. They yes. did that. You got a, a tugboat in 35 foot of water. A great first wreck dive. Then you got the wreck that you can rummage through. Oh yeah, that's great. And the river. That's one you've got 20, 30-foot visibility. Do underwater fishing if you haven't done that. That is a blast. Yep. You can have, well, they could have some fun with us. Yeah. And then we go get scalped by the Indians across the bridge at night, remember? Yeah. Just the casinos. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to need to close this up. I think we're hitting the hour and a half marker pretty oh darn God. close to it. Do you have anything you want to plug before we go? No, but if you guys aren't getting out there working, you know, getting some water time, be it kayak or or scuba or whatever you like to do, bicycling, you need to be getting out there. This is the middle of summer. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you don't take care of yourself or treat yourself, nobody's going to do it for you. Nope, you need but, to. Uh, and I'm, make I'm, I'm the worst example of that. I have, I'm just not getting out, getting to do much of anything this year. So, Okay. Is it time? It is that time of the show. Here we go. The police officer notices a car is going a little slower than normal. He's in a 45, and the car is just kind of poking along. So he turns on his lights and pulls it over, walks up to the car, and he knows that there's five older ladies into the car, the three women in the back seat and the one passenger in the front seat are all looking a little pale and, and nervous. The officer talks to the driver, and she says, oh, my oh my gosh, officer, what's up? He says, well, you know, I was, I'm a little concerned. She goes, well, I wasn't speeding, was I? He goes, no, no, you weren't speeding. Uh, but he says going too slow can also be a little bit of hazard. She goes, well, I, I, I wasn't going too slow. I was going exactly the speed limit. And he goes, well, you're going less than 25 miles an hour. And she goes, yeah, but it was a 22-mile-an-hour zone. And he thinks for a minute, and he says, 22 miles an hour. And she goes, yeah, that's what the sign said, 22. And he got to thinking. He goes, no, that this is Route 22. It's not 22 miles an hour. And the lady's like, oh, I didn't realize that. Well, f- well, thank you for letting me know. And he's like, well, okay, just make sure you, you go. This is 45 here. 
And he says, but before I go, is, is everything okay? I know the passengers your cars seem to be a little bit nervous. He, she says, oh, no, nah, that's nothing to worry about. We just got off Route 119. Uh, I like that one. I'd like to see that. <laughs> That'd have been fun. I'm, I'm picturing some like 1980s Chevrolet, you know, some Buick or some Marquis going down the road. Uh huh. So until next time, go out there and get wet and stay safe. Yeehaw!